Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe. This is going to be episode 216 with cinematographer Paul Myers. Um, man, such a good episode. I, I just really enjoyed my time talking with Paul. Um, his candidness, his openness, his willingness to share things. Um, it always makes for an amazing conversation and we just go fully into it. It's awesome. Um, not sure if most of you know, I'm really into cinematography now, um, more than ever. Um, and it's a, it's a common interest. So I'm really seeking out and finding people that align with that interest. And Paul's has got amazing work, really exceptional work. And, um, it, I was really stoked to hear that a lot of this comes from just his direct passion and drive. And he was hit by the bug at age 15, which I thought was awesome. And he's just been doing this ever since and really dedicating himself and his whole process to just being the best that he can at what he's, his craft and the things that he loves. So, um, we'll get into too many details. This is an awesome episode. I really enjoyed it. So got a big, big thank yous to Paul for coming on and, um, yeah, let's get into it, everybody. This is going to be episode 216. Let's begin. Well, this is cool. It's cool to know that you don't live in the hub of cities and that you enjoy living on the outskirts, I guess, if that's how you'd say it. It's re- I think it's it's kind of refreshing honestly, because I'm, I'm very much the same. And I think a lot of people, especially people that are listening, one of the common questions I get from fans of the show or just fans in general is, do you need to work in LA or a big city? Um, I think it doesn't hurt, but if you don't like cities and I don't, I think Paul and I are probably a good example of how it does work without. Yeah. I guess it's a choice. Yeah, man. Huh? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I guess my wife and I, we always figured that we'd have to live in LA, um, when we got married, but then I don't know, it turned out, I just started working. And especially as a DP, when you're flying all over the world, you know, shooting stuff, you quickly realize like, Oh, actually kind of live wherever you want, which even though you're gone all the time as a DP, I think that's like one of the coolest advantages that we actually have is that I think we can live wherever we want. And that goes for a lot of filmmakers. It goes for directors, producers, um, lots of people in the creative world. And, and for me, I think it just living somewhere that, you know, when I'm not working, I'm not traveling, I can be, you know, on the mountain skiing or at the beach surfing, you know, is that makes a big difference to me. And so just kind of being able to kick back, be with the family, uh, stay creative, re, you know, recharge. And so, yeah. um, yeah, that's totally what I'm about. My family, we actually just barely moved back from Hawaii. We were living in Hawaii for the last year. Oh, wow. And so we came back to Utah, uh, to have our third child, wow. uh, which we're loving and are excited about, but very cool. Yeah. yeah. Utah can't beautiful. say enough good things about Hawaii though. Too. No, there is no way to do. I grew up there. So I spent about 10 oh, years really? of my life there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. amazing. Which Island? Uh, I grew up on the big Island, uh, Maui, Oahu. And then there's this little Island off of Maui called Lanai that I lived. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's yourself? amazing. Yeah. We were in Maui, Oh yeah, I love but I uh, spent a lot of time on all the islands. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, especially as a photographer. Um, I mean, just growing up there, I wasn't a photographer, but, uh, it is, it's just on another level, um, entirely. There's no place like Hawaii when you're in the right place, the right time. It's just, 
especially like Kauai is so visceral and um, like super powerful visually, like crazy mm. powerful. The nature there is just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming. And I think if you spend enough time there, it like really gets into your system because we're already talking about when we're going to go back. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you become Kama'aina and the, the, you know, the, the land and Hawaii itself like takes hold of you. But, um, yeah, it's definitely my wife and I, um, our goal is to eventually head back there. Um, our daughter is 14 now. So, um, when she starts to set on her course, we're going to, travel a bit more and we'll, and, and I think, uh, um, Hawaii's, we're going to probably get a little place out there just because it's for me, it's like my happy place and it's where like, um, it's, it's so healthy there. It's so healthy to be there for me at least. It's Dude, such absolutely. a great place. So in Maui, especially that's the Island we're going to be at. Maui, I think is a great combination of, of all the, uh, the islands, I think. It's a great in between, and it, I think it's such a livable island too. Yeah, like exactly. it's big. You don't feel like you know it's it's big enough that there's a lot to explore. It's convenient enough. You've got you know restaurants and stores and whatever, but the nature is just insane, yeah. and it's not that crowded. It's nothing like Oahu. No, no, I can't live in Oahu. It's too much. Um, and yeah. I like that they have one island for that because I think. That's one thing that's really beautiful about Hawaii is it's very sovereign. So people are very aware and cautious of their, of the land and, you know, like no beaches are private and that's kind of rad. Yeah. So there's a lot of really cool things with that, but that's awesome. That's cool. Raising a family. Yeah. The Hawaii Hawaii connection. Yes. Yes. Love that. Yeah. My, a a big part of my, who I am comes from Hawaii. Um, I think my connection and love to nature. Um, but then like, it's interesting that you bring up Utah because I, I love Utah. I adore it. I was just watching, I'm big into cars and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I was just watching Motor Trend. There's a show on there called Epic Drives. And he was just going through like the Moab and all this, like all these places I've never been. And I'm like, man, I need to go to these places. It looks insane. Like, oh yeah. Utah is like the other side of the coin. Like you've got Hawaii, but like Utah is like just incredible desert, super vast, epic landscapes. I mean, yeah. Big, big country out there. And it's beautiful here. Yeah. It's super beautiful. It's, there's so many things to it. I'm, um, I'm like considering buying this, uh, selling my super crazy car and getting a Raptor so I can go out and do like road trips and just go off and just fuck off into the oblivion. <laughs> so yeah, a, man. a couple of my friends have those and yeah. Well, just, come to Utah. Oh Utah yeah. hundred percent. That's on my is list. waiting. Yeah, no, that's, I think that should be the slogan for it. Utah's waiting. Yeah. But it's a, that's a great point about being so, um, so mobile. I think it, it is like with film and this industry, if you choose it to be, um, it's kind of like a circus almost. It's like a traveling circus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? I feel like I'm in the circus all the time. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, like being and sometimes it, I, I don't know about you, but and I don't know how much you travel, but as a DP, I mean, I'm traveling like 200 plus days a year. Wow. Um, on like family and yeah, it can be really heavy for family. And sometimes you just feel really disconnected because you're gone so much. It's not just from family. I mean, we're always FaceTiming and talking and texting throughout the day. So I feel like from a relationship standpoint, like you can maintain those, but like just being away from like 
home, like your place. Yeah. I don't know. It can sometimes be difficult. It feels like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but no, I see um, what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I you just same. lose this like sense of belonging to a certain place Yeah, that it's weird. I never like you miss it a lot though. And so that's why, I don't know, for me, it's like having like a home that I come back to. That's just like, this is where I love, like, this is like my sanctuary, my temple. I come back, you know, I'm with my family. You've got nature, I've got the places that I actually want to spend my time out in instead of traffic and <laughs> the craziness of cities. I don't know. I mean, I'm just like a country boy though. So yeah. I my... think I am too, which is interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I can visit, can you visit like New York and spend like, a, Oh yeah. And I love yeah, that. Yeah. Love same. visiting there. Love well, shooting there for, you know, oh, shooting, a few weeks, yeah. but like, then it's like, yeah, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's too much. It's like almost for me, it's like stimulus over overload. And I'm like, uh, get me out of here, you know? So, but it, it, it definitely has its place, but no, I think you're, you're spot on when I travel. I, 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 I do, um, a lot of speaking engagements where I go mm -hmm. across the world and I do a lot of, um, just talking to other designers and doing these conferences and stuff. And, um, I really love them because it allows me to go and connect with other people and friends and people that I've been wanting to talk with for a long time in physical. Um, and also just seeing other countries. I'm going to, to Japan and again next month. So I'm really excited. Oh, about amazing. That. I love Japan. Okay. I was going to ask you if you've been to Japan cause yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's insane. My, my favorite place. So, um, especially for just photography in general, it's just, yeah, it's on another level all, all together. But, um, yeah, you're like when I, when I'm gone too long, there is a sense of loss, like a, a place, you know, it's, it is true. Um, that's crazy. 200 days out of the year traveling. That's a lot. Is that a typical thing for a DOP to be yeah, gone? It, yeah, it really is. It's something, I don't know, I think you don't realize unless someone's told you Yeah, when, makes sense, when you get but started. Yeah. But yeah, you're going to be gone 200 plus days a year. Wow. I mean, if you're going to be really, you know, after it and, uh, you know, and that's just, and I do commercials mostly right now. You know, once you get into features, it can actually get even worse because, um, you know, you'll be gone for, you know, months at a time. Yeah. That makes sense. Shoots. Yeah. So, because you're deep into the production. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, Roger Deakins is never home then. Just yeah. Like, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's dedicated his life to his craft. That's for sure. Yeah. I think it shows too. And I think that's one thing that, um, is definitely that something I really want to talk about is, you know, how much investment you put into your, into your passions and, um, the cost of that. And do you feel it's worth it you know, over time? Because I feel like having that duality, trying to live those two spectrums, which is a family person. And then also somebody that's, you know, prolific at what they do in their work. Do, do you find it to be taxing? Dude, starting out with the tough questions right out of the gate, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, have some yeah, easier I ones mean, now, but yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Like that's actually something I think about all the time. Yeah. You know, it's funny where I don't know. I guess like when you get started, it's just this like dream, and you're just like whatever it takes to get there, you're gonna do it, and you find a way, and you know, and then you work at it for years and years and years, and you find yourself you get to a place where you're like holy crap, like, you know, 
where I am right now is like where I was dreaming of being just a few years ago. And then you're like, Oh, but what, what was the cost? You know, is it like this even worth it? And, you know, for me, like it always comes back to, it is because I just, I'm completely addicted to what I do. I love mm. creating. I love making images. And that's really what, you know, inspires me and gets me excited. Like, at the end of the day, I think that's what fulfills me. And so there is definitely a price, though, that you pay for that. And, you know, and uh, and it's hard. And the, mm. and the more, you know, you have a family, the more I think you realize what that price is. And I guess I've still grappled with that a lot. I've got three kids, um, an amazing wife, and, you know, and I don't see them as much as I'd like to, mm. um, you know, but at the same time. I guess it's just, it's about finding balance. It's about finding the right partner. I've, I'm like so blessed to have an amazing wife who is completely supportive, you know, and she's always the one that's like, yeah, you know, I know, you know, you've been gone a while, but like take that job because I know like this is one that you're super excited about and you're going to love it and, wow. and it's important to you. And she's always that like support to me, which means the world, Yeah, you know, and and it, gratefully she's able to stay home and, um, you know, and she's full-time mom, which is amazing. And, you know, I couldn't ask for anything better for my kids. Like they're three full-time jobs right there. Three kids. Oh, dude, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and then I guess I'm trying to find the right balance, um, with when I am home really being present here because it's so easy, you know, with this kind of line of work, even though kind of projects come and go and, you know, start and stop. There is downtime in between, but a lot of times we're already like super immersed into kind of the next thing that's coming up or, um, or we're trying to find that thing or whatever. And so I've been trying to be a lot better in the last few years about just like when I'm home, really making that time sacred and being here with the family. And, and honestly, the best thing probably that helped me get to a place now where I really feel like I'm able to give myself pretty much fully to my family when I'm home was Hawaii. Like Hawaii was an amazing, you just can't, uh, <laughs> you can't. Not, yeah. It's you know? just Hawaii is just like such an amazing, uh, atmosphere, yeah. you know, for that. And it's just like, I don't know all, cause all the time you're outside, you're off the grid, you're either like in the sand or by in the water. So it's like, you don't have your phones with you, you're disconnected or you don't have any like internet connection to begin with. Yeah. Cause you're like deep in the wilderness on some <laughs> hike, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then it's just like that, you know, that life where everyone, you know, as soon as you go to Hawaii, you just feel like you've exited the rat race and it's just like, yeah, it's the about, air smells better. Everything's better. Yeah. Plumeria. Yeah. Oh dude, absolutely. <laughs> it's just, it's about family. It's about nature. It's about it's being about a human, yeah. being a human. Yeah. And, and so that was actually really amazing for me because when we were in Hawaii, I think I learned a lot about just like, whoa, you know, this is what it's about. And you love your job and you're so fulfilled at that, but there's this whole other side of your life, which is your family. And this is kind of the best way to approach that. And I think that's really made a big difference. And so that's beautiful, man. That's awesome. That's cool. It sounds Thanks. like we are very similar, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it, but it's cool. Be, I've, I mean, the only reason I bring that up too, and I know it's a tough question, but it, you answered it impeccably, I think, and very honest. So appreciate that. But so many people, 
that listen to this show are, are asking those same questions because they're either starting out or they're deep in it or they're, 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 they're having these quorums or problems or issues um, and misalignments and stuff because oftentimes with a very passionate person, unless you have a very understanding and compassionate partner, uh, it's very, very difficult because this is a very selfish thing. It, it is when it comes when it comes down to it, it's it's very insular for the most part. And to you, to your family members who aren't your film crew, they don't know, they don't understand, yeah. it, you know. And your kids especially, they have no concept of it. And especially when they're young, it's really difficult to be gone for for too long just because of the impact that you need to put on them at an early age. Um, can be really difficult. So, and I found that there is no balance for me. Um, it's, and it's simply because for me, it's like passion is so strong and in order to do your best work, you must be like, you know, completely passionate and dedicated to what it is you're doing. So, um, but it's almost like to, to do that, it's to, to give your life to it. But then on the other spectrum of it is if you decide to have a kid or child or children uh it's you that's a full-time passion as well you know (laughs) yeah it's so hard to to balance those things it's a it's an interesting quorum that we have uh in this modern time i guess you know so but it's something i'm always asking myself and everybody else that comes on the show it's like what are you doing so it sounds like hawaii was a good it was a good a good thing for you guys which is awesome yeah. But now you're back Absolutely. in Utah, baby. It's time to get back to work. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Utah's, uh, it's a little faster paced than Hawaii. That's for sure. But oh yeah. It's still the mainland it's still dude. concrete good. jungle. <laughs> dude, it's true. Yeah. But, but it's good. Though. Yeah. It's good to have that no, and, balance. And there. I don't know. I find for me, I think the, the lifestyle of working like crazy, super focused on a project and then coming back and having a little bit of a rest and then going right back into it. Mm. That for me is an amazing pattern that is very renewing mm. and keeps me stimulated and excited. That's hard. That's hard for me to do, but it's good that you get that chance to, I have a real hard time. Like I can't take vacations. Mm. Like I feel it could just come from my youth being really poor or something. I'm fighting something inside, but I can't. Yeah. Like if I'm on a, like, it's so funny. My wife and I, we had our honeymoon about 10 years ago and we were out on the beaches of like St. Lucia, I think. And I just couldn't relax. I was like, God, I need to work. I need to do something. Like <laughs> I was so busy body everywhere. I couldn't, I just ruined it for her. I think cause I couldn't relax, you know? So, <laughs> but oh, I, no. I used to fight that, but now I'm just like, you know, it's just, who I am. And until I learn how to relax and calm down, I'm just going to be this kind of person, I guess, <laughs> which is okay. Totally. I guess. So unfortunately, but and no, I feel you. I, I know the feeling. Sounds like you're a little ahead of the curve though, which is cool. And I admire that. So <laughs> yeah, I think I just get, I just, maybe I have weak stamina. I just get so tired out at some point that I just have to like stop hmm. and recharge for a day or two. And you know, and that's what gets me ready to do it again. It makes sense. So I think that's probably a better approach too, instead of just going like full bore all the time, you know, so which could cause problems. But you mentioned yeah. earlier, um, we talked a little, you're talking about in your response about, I think, um, I don't know if there's the way you said it, but you said something about like the luck of being passionate about something or do you find mm. it? Do you, do you, do you believe in luck by chance? Um, 
I would. I don't know if I believe in luck. I believe that we're all, you know, given some pretty special and unique opportunities for us. Maybe it's blessings. Maybe it's karma, mm-hmm. um, luck, all of the above. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I look back at my path and I look how, um, yeah, just even how I got into film to begin with, it was really something I kind of stumbled upon in my youth and then it completely took over my life and has ever since. And just kind of the building blocks of my learning and so much of it has come down to incredible, um, just, yeah, incredible coincidences or blessings, you know, that I could never have foreseen otherwise that I, you know, have to believe that there's something for sure at work there, you know, that we find a way to do what we need to do and, and be put in those kind of positions because yeah, just so many bizarre stories you know, that I could yeah. go into, which I won't bore you all with, but it's, yeah, yeah, I believe that. That's what awesome. about you? No, you know, I, you know, actually it's pretty interesting. I've been listening to this, um, this really interesting guy. His name's Naval. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast a while back and Mm -hmm. uh, every month or so I listen to one of his, he has this, like, um, he did this Twitter blast that, um, on, and then he did this big response to his Twitter blast. It's like a two and a half hour, um, podcast episode, but it's so much, uh, wealth of information and just, his outlook on life. He's well, he's very well learned and he's very, very well read and he's very articulate. There's not yeah. a lot of likes and ums in his, the way he talks, which is brilliant. I, it's instantly the thing I always look for when I'm trying to find somebody articulate to listen to. And yeah, so it's, totally. but his approach well, you, is, is really interesting about luck. He says that it's not about um, the idea of just being lucky. He said it's a misconception. He says that, Um, it's about design luck. And he gave this example of if you're, uh, if you're designing your life around deep sea diving, for example, it's, it's a passion and something that you really love. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you align with somebody that discovers via sonar or something like, um, this treasure and they discover you because of your passions and that luck, if you, if you want to call it design luck, aligns and then that passion that you have eventually works out and it, and it, and it blends into what people out on the outside would go like, Oh, Paul, he's just lucky that he has that job. I can't do that. You know? And it's like a, hmm. it's an interesting approach. And I think that's what I, I believe, believe that. Yeah, yeah. I believe that. I, th- I think that you need to, to manifest it. Um, and it comes from a positive mind and, and having a great foundation of people around you that are positive and, once you have that going, it becomes um, like a moving train, basically. And there's so much momentum behind it. Every every day of passion that adds to it, it just creates more speed. I think you know, and um, and that's, yeah. that's the way I look at it. You know, I so. I completely agree with that. And and you know, and I look back and I feel like a lot of the luck at the beginning of my career, I think you you build for yourself you have to make your own luck at the beginning. And then there's these kind of moments of grace that are, that come through as well. They're just like, I couldn't have counted on that. Yeah. But yeah, but you definitely, yeah, I think you had it right on the, on the nose. 
Yeah. Well, I think if you get a chance, um, I can send you a link to it. It's a really interesting episode. I mean, it's worth, yeah, like I'd I said, to, it's worth love just, to hear that. I listen to it every month or so. Um, like on cleaning day or something, I'll just put that in and zone out and think about like what he's saying and, and applying it to my life. I find, especially with being such an insular person and like not directly, but because I create so much inside of my head, I think it's a different process. I imagine you do similar things, but because you're working with your crew, it's quite different. I would imagine, but there's so many weird things that happen in your head, like trick ups and the weird things that happen. So I find totally. this stuff to be really, um, like it's almost like medicine for my mind to reset if I can apply it. So um, but yeah, it's really good. And that's just like one of the aspects that he talks about. And when he said it, I was like, that's exactly what I, I think of as luck. Because I think when somebody goes like, you're lucky, they're just trying to belittle you or, or they're trying to remove you from their example of like why they didn't do it, you know? So, mm. um, yeah, which drives me nuts because <laughs> anybody that's ever done anything knows that it's not luck. It's actually just, getting up and going to bat every day with what it is that you're going against, you know? So absolutely. You also mentioned, um, passion, which to me is some, that's a topic. It's a big topic of this show. Um, it's something that I love to talk about and I'm always very curious about it. Um, mainly because, you know, of all the things that you could have decided to do and leads us all the way to this conversation all these years later, how is it that you managed to find cinematography or photography? Um, as a passion, did it start young? Did it start later? Like what was the, the impetus if you can put it down to, to a direct moment? Yeah. Um, well, you know, for me growing up as a kid, I always just wanted to be an astronaut. I just wanted to go to space. I wanted to explore. That was like what, you know, what I always wanted to be. And then like, you grow, start growing up and people are like, yeah, you know, there's actually only a handful of astronauts and you're probably not going to be that person and whatever. And then, you, and I guess it took me a little while, you know, where I really didn't know what I was going to do or had any ideas. But then I went on my first film set, you know, when I was 15 years old mm. and that just completely opened my eyes to a new world that I'd never seen before. And, um, and I guess that was it. That was kind of the light bulb moment going on for me because I saw all these people that were like me and could spend, you know, hours just sitting there finessing one little light or one something so that it was perfect and trying to tell a story and, you know, taking an audience to places that they'd never been before. And, and I guess that adventure that I'd always wanted came through in filmmaking and especially in cinematography because, you know, for me, I guess what excites me the most about, you know, filmmaking and is telling stories um, and also creating worlds and going places that, you know, you wouldn't go otherwise. And as a cinematographer, a lot of times you could actually go to those places because we have to shoot them, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's kind of it captured all those things, you know, in one and, you know. I don't know. Before then I was, I was just a really like normal kid just doing really normal things. I had friends and played lots of video games and, you know, did some sports and whatever. But it was crazy because after that day, really, that I went on that film set, it was like complete shift of focus. And it was like 
no more video games. Everything was just about like reading books, buying cameras, watching movies, trying to learn as much as I could about this craft, Wow. you know, and it was just like this crazy focus that I'd never found in my life before. It just was there and I, you know, couldn't get away from it and I didn't want to. And so I just said, okay, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, and that lasted for years, you know, um, and I was shooting, you know, I never got a job really. I just started shooting like wedding videos and little documentaries and whoever would pay me to make anything or wouldn't pay me. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of, you know, started building from there and, um, and you kind of make a, a little bit of a name for yourself. And, and then at some point you kind of get so far into it that you look back and you're like, I don't know if I could do anything else if I didn't do this because <laughs> I've never done anything else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome. At Here age we are. 15, man. God, yeah. I really hope that lightning hits my daughter. Like that's such a, it's such a, see, that's the thing. That's that impetus moment, um, where you find alignment and that is so special. That's really cool. Who got you to that set at 15? That's a pretty young age to go to a set, I guess. But how yeah, you it was there? just one of my friends, uh, one of my friends had like a, a teacher or someone that had invited me over. It was just a film, a film school, um, like a bunch of students on a student film hmm. and they needed like some extras. Hmm. And it was just like, yeah, we'll go be extras. Why cool. not? <laughs> and that was kind of what it took. That's so cool. It wasn't even like a, I was on the Spielberg set or something like that. You know, it's like, yeah, it was know. very underwhelming really looking back now, but like, yeah, but still it was though. enough for, you know, for my young mind to just be like, completely inspired yeah and see kind of what it could be i guess you're giving me flashbacks to my childhood my brother is a well he was used to live in la and he was a grip and Mm -hmm. so i would go on set with him on location Um, oh nice and the thing i i found instantly is like i i didn't like this this is shitty everybody just stands around all the time and i was like (laughs) and you're just working hard all day and i was like uh, i remember it's it's something funny my brother reminds me of that i totally forgot but he said like yeah i remember when you'd come to set with me and you were like this is whack and then then you were thinking about not going to college and then all of a sudden you went to college so you could not have to do this so you could you know dictate everything from your desk you know so which is funny, like, because considering how hard I work and how much I basically do what I didn't want to do back then, which is funny, but it's not physical labor necessarily. Like, cause being on my feet all day doesn't sound like the most amazing thing, but, um, but that was, it's interesting, the differences there. But I was also, but I, I do say, remember being very much like, oh, these people are weird like me. This is interesting. These are all like, this is a collective of like, ragtag random people and yeah there's like the, it's a very much a circus i would imagine i don't know oh, yeah it's like to be it's in a misfit circus, island yeah you know, exactly. every film set you go to yeah and yeah it's, and it's great yeah it is it's definitely different but that's so cool at age 15 that you got that and then that full focus and everything so so let's go back if you can do you have a good mm-hmm. memory or not such a good memory yeah i, I mean i my wife would say that I have a horrible memory. Okay. I think I have a probably decent memory. I think all um, significant others say that about one another. So that's a common thing. So <laughs> good. Well, but that's good to know. Yeah. Cause well, I definitely have bad memory, but that's, it is what it is. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Um, so if we're back at 15 and you're, 
you get the, you get struck by this. What are some of the movies, the things like, how are you shifting your mind? Because again, uh, for people that are listening and myself included, um, I'm always curious, like, okay, so you, you have this, this drive, this burning after this, this experience, <coughs> excuse me. And then you have, you know, this, this, you take, you take that passion and you turn it into like a manifestation of, um, knowledge, you know, like reading, um, I'm not sure how old you are, but I remember I'm, I'm like pre the internet being good. <laughs> so I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm born yeah. in 83. So it's like the yeah. internet really wasn't a thing. So it was like books is in there. The books were pretty limited too. Um, totally. Especially all yeah. this kind of stuff. So I was born 88. So I was kind of like right when the internet was coming out. But at this time, this, this stage, it was still like, there was a lot of information that was really only available in books. Yeah. And so you're, so you're at a 50, as 15 year old, you're chilling out and you're watching movies and you're studying them and it's just, yeah. And then just like messing around with cameras as mm. much as possible, you know, like you remember your first little, camera. Um, what was, it was, it was just like a little Sony handy cam piece of crap. Yeah. A little video cam use, you know, mini DV tapes. <laughs> That was my oh, first. And then after that, I finally, I got the DVX 100A. Oh shit. Damn. The game changer, you know, Get that out was of a the big way. camera for, <laughs> for a lot of us. Um, but yeah, it was, so it was a lot of just experimentation, I think, because yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's so much you can read in books and whatnot, but for me, I guess I've always found, uh, photography and, you know, image making is about, I don't know. I just have to be like, have my hands in it. Like I have to be touching it somehow. Of course. And, you know, and so, yeah, so, so much of it just came down to that hands-on, you know, process, um, of just shooting garbage with my friends. And, <laughs> you know, we had, I don't know how many thousands of dollars worth of pirated software that we downloaded <laughs> from the internet yeah. that we were using and which, you know, I've paid, I paid all those people back plenty. I'm sure by now. Because, yeah. 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 That's really common. Actually. I have I my Adobe subscription now that I've had for a very long time. So <laughs> well, dude, I mean, Photoshop was like $3,000 back in the day. So no, it's exactly. Like, it's like, well, get that out was of here, guys. Like, yeah. you know, as a 15 year old, you're like, I can't go buy a thousands of dollars worth of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's not like you needed that stuff. So yeah, it's an essential part of getting these things done. That's we'll talk about gear and software and all that stuff eventually, I'm sure. But, yeah. um, but I think like, I'm really interested in that. I think that's really cool. And I, and I totally agree. And I think that you mentioned something that we don't want to overlook is like, you simply had to go out there and fail a lot and be okay with it because there's no pressure on you really other than your own desire, you know? So it's not like, you know, you have yeah. a, a board of people like relying on you to deliver this essence. You're like, I'm just a kid and I'm going to fucking go off and be silly with my, my, my friends and we're going to go and create something cool. And they might think it's cool and they're my audience. So who cares? You know, totally. You know, and, and when you're starting like, thank goodness, I just hadn't been exposed to that much stuff yet because it was mm -hmm. like, it still, it was really garbage, you know, and it sucked, but like, I thought it was good. Mm. And like, we kept, you know, kept just working and progressing at that. And, you know, I think it's interesting looking back now though. It's interesting how 
things have changed so much with the internet. Oh, and man. now that like tools are so much better oh, and so much more available, like the barriers to entry are so much lower than they ever used to be, you know? Yeah. Cause like when I started getting really like, I mean, I had been shooting tons of video and stuff for years, but once I started really getting serious about like, okay, cinematography is like what I'm going to do. You know, I spent about a year and a half. There was a photographer that lived, um, that I'd met that lived here in Utah and, um, he wanted to start directing. And so the two of us, you know, we basically pooled our money together and for a year and a half, we just shot, um, you know, we shot like eight passion projects, you know, and spec commercials that we called in every favor that we had, every friend that we knew awesome. spent every cent that we had and that we didn't have. And, you know, and those were like really big learning experiences. But like for that, I mean, man, we had, you know, we were shooting on film or digital, you know, like with expensive cameras, expensive, everything renting as much as we could. And it's like, looking back now, man, it's like, you can do so much with, you know, a thousand dollar camera. Oh yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like better than what we were shooting with back then. Yes. And it's just yeah. like the barriers to entry are lower and like the access to great content is also so much more available. You know, with Vimeo, a kid can jump on and be like, and can really see what's, what's you good. know, what's being produced right now and like what's good. And it's yeah. so much easier. Whereas before, I mean, you know, you know, yeah. before that, before the internet, it was like, I didn't even know what other people were making. You know, you saw like films, you saw yeah. movies, but besides that, you didn't really know like what kind of content was getting produced. And so yeah. I think that also is really sped things up for people that are trying to get started. It comes with a cost though. I think that there's a brilliance of not knowing that so you can develop your style without being, you know, like I, I feel bad kind of for kids now that live with the internet in a sense where individuality is kind of odd, I think um, yeah. simply because it's like, if you don't get likes, if the algorithm doesn't like you, you could, you could be this brilliant artist that, just needs another year to shine and discover. But because yeah. of the way that these things work, it, 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 it's like, it doesn't support those that take big risks, you know, unfortunately, just because that's how the algorithm works. So it's, I, I'm really thankful to have grown up in the age before all this, to be honest. I mean, totally. I would have like Chris Cunningham DVDs and all that kind of stuff or Michelle Gondry. And still to this day, like star guitar is like one of my favorite music videos. And, and it taught me a lot about filmmaking, whether he knew it or not. It's like how to simplify things and how to think in a different way and how to change. I mean, his Daft Punk videos and all that kind of stuff, like those videos kind of shaped the way that I look at things. Um, but absolutely that didn't come until later, I think. So I don't know. It's, it's something I think about and fight with a lot, you know, especially like being so active on social media um, I always wonder like, is this right? Am I po like, what is, what's going on here? Some kind of weird social experiment. I, I know it's just like we become commodities almost, which is kind of mm. weird, but, um, I don't know. It's something that I think about a lot, I think. So, but yeah, I, I know the feeling, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't do it. Like, I'm not that active on social media, to be honest. Like I'll post on a semi-regular basis with just new work that's coming out and whatnot, but I'm not someone that actually is like really engaged on social media. So maybe I'm not really yeah. the best person to talk about it at all, but it's good though. It sounds like it's a, you have a healthy relationship with it then. Well, <laughs> you know? I just, you know, I don't know. I just, it gives me anxiety, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and I just don't really 
want that in my life. So I've just kind of been able to push it away, which is great. And, um, what was I trying to say? Oh, but you know, it's been interesting though. I feel like when I started really shooting, you know, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago and I was really getting started, I, I watched so many references and I was always on Vimeo, you know, and it's like now I hardly ever, hardly ever watch it. Yeah. And I've actually found, I just feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I'm able to, to see my own voice more now than I did before though, just because I'm not saturating myself so much with the work of others. Like, I mean, I'm still seeing the great work that's being put out there and there's plenty of people that I follow, but it's, I don't know, I'm not actively like searching for it quite as much as I am looking into, you know, other art forms and just trying to be inspired by locations and light and, um, and you know, and the story, the narrative that we're trying to tell. Mm. I love that. I love that you mentioned that because it sounds like you've put the 10,000 hours in. I think at the 10,000 hour mark, you, you stop looking in the mirror and you look through the mirror almost, you know? Um, and by mirror, I mean the mirror of everybody else, the world, the way the world sees you. And what I mean by you going beyond it, it's like you look through the mirror. Um, it's not even looking anymore. It's becoming in a sense. And I think that it's a, this is a really common thing. I think it's something that I, I read and understood in the, in the book mastery. It's something that I've discovered in myself. Um, I mean, I used to do the same thing. I would just obsess over references all the time. And sometimes like just recently, um, I think he's a familiar, he's a, he's a friend of both of ours. Ozon Byron, you know, Ozon. Yeah, I do know Ozon. Ozon's awesome. He's awesome. Amazing guy. He's so amazing. And he, what he does is he's the best at it, which is amazing. I like, love his work. And he was showing me this guy named Johnny Green. He did these mm-hmm. old Audi commercials. Remember those? Yeah. Like, with Josh Brolin and stuff like that. And he was just, I'd never seen those that stuff before. And he showed it to me recently. They're old too. Oh yeah. But, but those have so like shaped, brilliant. those have shaped commercials. Yeah. They're in brilliant. like yeah. such profound ways, right? Because yeah. they're just so brilliant and they're, they were they're so fresh authentic. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. Like uh, when I watched it now, I was like, wow, like I haven't, like I said, I don't really seek out references that much anymore, but when I see something like that, I'm just like, Oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> Let me watch this a hundred times and see why it's making me feel this way, you know, and totally really understand. Um, and, and then I also like, I'm not sure this is something I wanted to talk with you about too, is like, how much do you get inspired and then how much do you take on that journey to the next place? You know, like, you know, Oh, like I really love that one shot that I saw there. And, and at one point, at what point in your career do you go, uh, you're not even thinking about it. It's just becoming you, you know? You know what totally. I'm saying? Um, yeah. I mean, so you're basically saying at what point do you kind of stop using references and like trying to imitate other people's work yeah. and it just kind of becomes like what you like a part of you and those images are, more become i guess become yours because you're creating them yeah like if you watched a lot of fincher's stuff and you go like oh like the camera work is like this omnipotent eye Mm -hmm. um, and everything's on sticks or it's like really controlled and it's like motion controlled and all this stuff and then you're like oh i really like that but then 
you're like, well, I don't have Fincher budgets and all these kind of things and time Fincher time, basically, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's the thing I think a lot of people are unaware of is, is it, Fincher sets got to be the most intense because you're just like <laughs> oh, yeah. all day long, you're doing setups and set downs and just like for just, you know, and then you're doing 50 takes, um, yeah, or whatever to get it or more, perfect to get it perfect exactly but then you go like you you watch like um you know terrence malick film and, and things are like lubeski style handheld and they're they're very organic and in, in nature and then for me when i watch the difference between those two i i love and admire them both but then i go like well how would i do it you know and then i think it comes down to like you said and i think these are the key principles and the things that i'm also inspired by it's like where's the light what's the light doing um how how are things looking compositionally and then and then the most important thing if you're doing anything of of importance you're like okay what story am i telling here you know yeah what am i trying to get across and that's i think that's where it leads me right to where kind of like roger deakins sits for me it's because he is um first and foremost i think he's a storyteller he's a director but he's like he's he's not about the pretty picture he's about the story but it happens to be a pretty picture because he's a he's an artist, you know? So it's like this, that's why I, I really admire his work. Um, the more I study it, the more I go like, ah, that's why he's doing that. It's, he's constantly supporting the subtext always. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he's an amazing, he's an amazing artist. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think for me, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because as a cinematographer, you like grow and you, you know, and it's anyone that's creating visuals, it's like you grow and you don't really see it, but it just becomes a part of you and you just start to accumulate all of this kind of uh, experience, mm. you know, on image making and on, you know, saying things with those images. Yeah. And it's weird because, you know, in some ways it's just everything comes so naturally. At least for me, it's like everything feels like intuitive. Like I'm always like trusting my gut, like what feels right. And that's what I'm usually going with, um, as opposed to taking like a really, um, I don't know, scholarly, logical approach to it. Maybe and maybe that's totally wrong, but that's like that's you though. That's how I guess my approach is. And the more, I guess, the more that I've done it, the more um, comfortable you become with all the tools and with the process, and even with that super short timeline that you always feel like that's something that's tough as a cinematographer is at the end of the day, you have to make the day and it's up to you to do that. And so you have this time that's ticking like all the time, you know, and, and trying to do your craft and be creative, but also fit it in that amount of time that you have is something that I, I was never very comfortable with, but like you get more and more comfortable with, I guess, as time goes on. Sure. But, but what I'm, I don't know, I find myself these days, um, more often than not just trying to take time on set and it's either me by myself or just me and the director. And it's just trying to find a quiet moment where we can sit there together in the space that we're trying to make, you know, that we're trying to shoot something and just talk through what we're doing. Because I feel like it's so easy to just dive in and then you get so far and you've, you're, you know, at a dead end and you don't know what to do. And that's the moment where you got to like send everyone away, take a break for a minute and like, let's come back and just like 
try to be inspired by like what is happening right here. Hmm. And I didn't do that very much. I felt like at first because I was just really scared (laughs) of the time and we were running out of time and you know, but, but the more you, I don't know, the more you do this, the more you real, like you realize, you know, the only thing that matters is like what goes through that camera, you know, like what we actually record. Yeah. And then, but more importantly than that, it's like what actually they use in the edit, you know, <laughs> because then yeah. they'll throw all that stuff out. You spend hours making all this stuff and then they, they'll cut it all out because none of it matters, you know, yep. in the end. And so it's, Distilling. I guess it's just about trying to find that focus. Like, what are we really trying to say is, is still the, the you know, million dollar question. Yeah, that is the million dollar question. I think those that really understand that and understand how to answer that and understand the subtext and really are passionately dedicated to the story are the ones that really accelerate because I think, at least from my perspective, um, as just an aspiring cinematographer, as a person that loves photography and I just love observing the world that way, in the beginning it's all about like what pixel, you know, thing that you have or the gear that you have or what lens and I think a lot of people are looking for that fast answer like myself when I was first starting like, well, okay, well, what's the difference? Well, I don't have that. I have an iPhone. I don't have this camera, blah, blah, blah. And as we mentioned earlier, it's like you can do a lot with this, with the simplest of tools. You know, I have an, a Sony a7 III and it's just awesome. Like it's, it does so much. It, it has a couple issues like that I would like to get past. But other than that, it's way more powerful than any camera that I've ever used in my past. And you could definitely... Um, my friend Anthony just shot his entire film on an a7 III and it looks incredible. Like it, you couldn't tell because he used the right lenses and also he just knows how to, to take great photos and take great, great footage too. So, um, and it's a testament to just how amazing the technology has gotten because it looks like it was shot on, on an RE or something like that, an Alexa or something. It's just really amazing. Um, but I think the one of the pitfalls is getting caught in the technology and then also getting caught in like, you know, like you said, the time, like getting all of this stuff down and fit it into this little pocket. And it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy if you think about it. But then once you can think about the bigger idea, I think that's where really things start to sell, you know, so. Totally. Yeah. No, totally. And I think honestly, I, I'm just grateful to amazing directors that I've worked with um, throughout the years because I think they've taught me more than anyone, you know, about what's really important. And, you know, like you said, it's so easy to get focused on the gear. You know, I can't tell you like how many people I have asked me on countless projects. It's like, oh, what camera did you shoot on? What Mm -hmm. lenses did you shoot on? Everyone wants to know, like, what lenses are you shooting on? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the focus, it's always like image. And I think that's something that, you know, right now we're like really in this trend right now, especially with commercial filmmakers, you know, that everything's just about image, image, image. But, you know, and it's easy to make a beautiful image. Like there's so many amazing images out there and people that are doing it, but like you don't feel anything. No. You, you, you know? feel like it, you feel like, a, Oh, that's a beautiful image. And then you go, okay, next, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. just like, it's just this kind of junk food, eye candy, yeah. you know? And I mean, and there's definitely a place for that, I guess. And it's a testament to, oh, you know, there's, that's where it's at. yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that's not what I want to do. I yeah. just want people to feel something, you know, I guess mm. when I'm making images, I really want people to feel something yeah. and, 
ultimately I think that's uh, where directors have really taught me a lot. There's this director that I've been working a lot with for the last year named Rune uh, Milton. He's from, uh, he's Danish and really lovely, really lovely guy. And, you know, he's always just like constantly on set. There's kind of this fun tension, but he's always like, Paul, just stop worrying about the lights and like, let's just focus on this performance right now. You know, like just like we have to shoot this and just it looks fine. Like, let's just take the time instead of making the image look, you know, that much better. Like, let's take the time and figure out like how to make this like really, really impactful. Hmm, he's breaking and, your habits. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's hard. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. as a DP, it's like, that's I don't know. You're just, yeah. You just like, you <laughs> want it to look great, yeah. you know, but like, and I look at the films that we've made and I really have loved the work we've done together hmm. and I'm so proud of it. And, but there's a lot of images in there that sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's not quite what I wanted. Maybe, you know, this isn't yeah. like with a few more minutes, this could have been better. Sure. But I realized like the, the performance, it doesn't matter there. because yeah. the whole film, like it works, you know, like the whole film stands alone on its own, even if there's some shortfalls in the photography and that's my fault. And I need to just, you know, and I can keep growing and getting better so I can be faster and, and do the rest, you know, and be able to be more in control to make that better. But it's like getting that pressure from directors is actually been so helpful i think for me hmm. because it helps me focus on the things that i need to be focusing on which is not just the image you know the image yeah that's like the baseline of what a cinematographer does but you know it's about story it's about you know what we want the audience to feel yeah that's true and that's a good point and that's cool that you're stepping up to the challenge and breaking your bad habits whether they're bad or good or whatever because you know you have um there's this guy named Bruno. I think his name is Bruno. I can't remember. Ozon showed it to me and he's in his yeah. visuals are insane, dude. Like they're so like, yeah. they're so cinematic. But when I watch his work, all credit and, and due to him, cause he's amazing. Like he's a painter with, with photography. He's incredible. Yeah. Are you talking about Bruno Avion? Yes. Yes. That's yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. But then, um, I can't watch his stuff that much. I'm like, it was whatever, you know, like <laughs> and it's weird, but then I could watch something that, isn't very well shot, but it has incredible performances or it's just captivating. Um, and it all kind of, it, it pulls me in. And so it's, it's proof that it's not just one side of the thing. It's the multiple spectrum. And I think that's like, if we were to bring up Ozon again, he's going to love and hate that we're talking about him so much, by the way, mostly <laughs> yeah. he's going to hate it, which I'm, that's uh, why I'm liking doing this. But, um, yeah. he, like his sound design is, is impeccable. And I was, there was like this guy, I think his name's David F. Sandberg. I think he uh -huh. was, he was really big on Vimeo. He did that lights out short and then he went off and did like Annabelle and then he went to do Shazam and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, he seems like a really cool guy. And he posted up this thing on Vimeo the other day. Um, and it was he, one of his big rules that he learned was that sound is more important than visuals, which I was like, that's interesting. And he did this quick example and it made a lot of sense. Um, which goes to, to, to your director's um, standpoint, which is like you, of course we, I think we all, um, as photographers or cinematographers, we want to make the most beautiful image, but that image with bad sound is actually a hindrance, um, almost, you know, or it's like, people totally it's it's interesting dynamic that you have and when i see and listen and really 
like Star Wars without the John Williams track or without <laughs> like what um, Ben Burt, I think his name is this the incredible sound designer for Star Wars without all those amazing sounds. Like mm-hmm. you just don't have, when you have them all together, that's really when it's starting to sing, but when you're missing one. So I guess that's a testament, you know, um, to having a perfect balance between all the worlds, you know, the, each, each asset or aspect of the, the creative process for the end result for the viewer and the, and what they take away from it, you know? So totally. Yeah. It's a complicated thing. I've been studying Greg Frazier's work and I was watching uh, lion the other day mm-hmm. and, um, kind of seeing how he was shooting that with a lot of handheld and, um, there's just a lot of madness going on cause they were shooting on location in India, you know? So, um, yeah, but there's some really tender and just really beautiful moments in that film. Um, and I'm just, I'm always fascinated like, Oh, that's interesting why that person did that. And I guess, um, I'm on, I'm on the stage of just looking in the mirror, <laughs> you know, like I haven't gotten obviously to the level that you're at where you're comfortable, um, in a sense, not like you're comfortable and complacent, but it's like where you, are kind of going past the references, I think, you know? Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, working with directors has got to be interesting that everybody is different. I imagine, um, it sounds like you, you try to live up to that challenge and work directly, obviously as much as possible with them. When you're working with a director, do they, is it like through an agency where they reach out to you and say, Hey, we have this spot and this director, blah, blah, or does the director reach out to you? directly i imagine it's probably different for each project but do you Um, you find it important to have a direct connection with your director yeah you know honestly all the directors that i work with regularly um we have really close personal connections with and Mm. you know we're talking all the time we're texting we're calling each other um you know i hear about projects that they're excited about that they want to do together you know well before my agent does um because you know, my, the thing that, one of the things that I'm most grateful for and love so much about filmmaking is that you get to do it with your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I think filmmaking is way too hard to do unless you're doing it with your friends. Mm-hmm. And so honestly, you know, some of my best friends are directors, um, all over the world. And, you know, we, <laughs> the only time we really get to see each other for the most part is like (laughs) when we're on jobs, but we'll just, you know, one day we'll be in Tokyo and then, you know, a few months later we'll be in, you know, Beirut or, you know, South Africa or wherever. And we just, we know we see each other all over the world, but we'll keep in touch, um, you know, definitely throughout the process. Um, and sometimes find time to hang out when possible. I love that. And, and I just think that, that relationship is the most important, um, at least in my work, because as a cinematographer, I feel, you know, my main responsibility is to know what the, you know, what's in the director's head as best I can. Mm. And then to try, you know, to create visuals that support that and to tell that story, you know, so I need to be thinking, like them. And so it's just constantly about trying to get into their head, you know, and that's not just during the, you know, during shooting, but it's a lot of it has been prep, you know, even, um, even before like the concept has fully been, you know, cemented in like when, uh, directors are writing treatments for projects, you know, a lot of times like 
we're chatting together about it and we're, you know, we're talking through not just like logistics and like, how would we do this? Or like, what kind of gear do we need for this? But like, what, you know, what should we do? Like, how is this going to be, you know, what's going to be the most powerful way to tell this story? And like, what's, you know, a unique approach that we can take. And, you know, that relationship, you know, is really so important because it also, um, you know, if you're working with some directors, like directors are different. Some are like more open um, to sharing creativity than others. Like some are just like, hey, this is the script. Like, let's do this. And there's amazing directors that do that. But then there's others, like I said, that are like, yeah, like, let's do this together. And, you know, in that you can be really a creative partner and have a real impact on kind of what the final film is just because they let you and they, you know, openly welcome that mm-hmm. collaboration. I find that, um, the best work comes that way. Um, but it's gotta be the right combination, you know? And usually I, I find so that too. most directors, uh, that don't allow for collaboration, they've just been, they've had too many bad experiences. And so the trust is gone. And so they just simply won't allow that in. Um, but when they do, if you can, and you find the right collaborator, then that's really when the art starts to become something special. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But it's so important. You have to have that combination. Right. And if you don't have that combo, it's just like, uh, well, yeah, (laughs) you know, it's just very tough. It's very difficult. Um, and it becomes, um, more or less a trust issue. And that's really kind of the underlying issue um, Mm. for most people, I think. So, but that's cool. That's interesting. And I love that you said that, like, you know, and I totally agree Like making films is hard enough alone. So you must do it with friends. And, and I firmly believe in that because you have to do these things with people that you can work with, because if you don't, then you're just literally going to hate it because it's a very grueling process. You know, it's like everything that oh, could go yeah. wrong will go wrong. And it's, that's just kind of how it works, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, you, it's gotta be with friends, you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, they just, you know, they can't pay you enough to do what we do. Like we're completely put just our whole souls into these projects, you know, you need someone that's, you know, willing to go, you know, as far as it takes with you and, and, you know, and you can enjoy that process, I guess, (laughs) because we're going to put ourselves through hell, no matter what it is to make the film great. And you just want to do it with someone that, that you like being around, you know, and that you enjoy the adventure together with, I guess. It's so clutch. Yeah. It's so clutch to have that. And if you don't have that, I think it's just going to make for a really horrible experience. And, um, it's cool to hear that you, you're reaffirming that because that's really kind of been my approach as of late, especially with all my collaborators and friends and, um, and working with actors now and stuff. It's been, it's been so fun to be like, Hey, let's make this together. Um, it's not just only my vision and I need to bend and work with it as long as we're hitting these marks let's make sure we all have ownership of it. And I think that's, that's like supreme leadership, I think. Um, totally. That, no, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. And I think the more comfortable we are as creators and in our own skin, the more generous we are with allowing people to collaborate with us in our create, in our creative works. Yeah. And that's what really produces the richest results. You know, I was reading like this, I was reading um, article on Tree of Life the other day, an American cinematographer, which is an amazing article if you haven't read it. Mm. And 
you know, Lubezki's talking about how like, you know, they did this with like a very small team um, of people. But Lubezki's talking about how like Terrence Malick was telling, you know, basically told everyone on the set, like, I want you guys to be here, be present and like be offering suggestions, like if you have them. Hmm. And I mean, which is kind of crazy, like when you think about the hierarchy of a film set, you, know, you don't usually have that. A lot of times I feel like when I'm fighting on, you know, a lot of big shoots, you know, is like people on their phones and people that aren't engaged because, you know, they're wherever they are on the totem pole and they don't feel like they're collaborating, you know, but it's like when you can, if you can have a set where you've got a, you know, a small group of people, but everyone's engaged and you have, you know, the PA that's sitting there like on this tree of life shoot, that's feels comfortable enough saying, Hey guys, the fireflies are coming out outside right now. Like, let's go. Yeah. And then the entire film shoot just stops <laughs> shooting Brad Pitt in front of the window <laughs> and they literally run outside and start shooting the fireflies. Yeah. Like that's amazing. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, and something Ego that removal. you, yeah. yeah, you can never, you know, I don't know. You'll never be able to capture that unless you can, you know, find, um, you know, collaborators and people that can have that kind of, um, a family that can have that kind of cohesiveness. And so, that's a big thing from the leader, from the trust of, you know, and I think that film has, oh, yeah. I think that's probably the strength and the weakness of that film where it's like, it's got these incredible moments, but it also sometimes feels directionless, you know, and it kind of has exactly. this voidness, you know? So in contrast to like, say Fincher, who's a very controlling and has exactly what he wants and knows what he wants and, and is, is not afraid to, to work hard to get it and push his crew to get there. Um, I remember hearing a story, I think it was, um, I can't remember who told me this or if I read it or what, but on the set of Gone Girl, uh, one of the extras was like stopped the shot and said, Hey, I don't have a battery in this camera. And then like the eight, the AD was like, dude, shut up, man. We're taking, we're doing this shot. And then Fincher's like, and then the guy was like, Hey, if you want me to literally be in this movie and do this thing, it doesn't make sense that I wouldn't have a battery in my camera. And then like Fincher's like, Hey, get the freaking guy key battery, you know, like, um, you know, professionalism at the, at the, all the way to the end. And I think everybody, like you said, um, everybody working cohesively together, um, because if you have one bad seat on set, it's, it spreads. And I think it's, I like to work with very small groups and, um, friends, you know, um, people that we have respect for one another. And I think that's, why I've kind of avoided going down the commercial route because I'm so afraid of like, okay, well what, what maniacal beast am I have to face this time? You know, <laughs> like which person do I have to deal with this time? You know, like I know it's a negative outlook and it's probably just me being insecure. Um, but, uh, I find that, you know, working with people that I, I that I enjoy working with, I find that the experience is so fulfilling. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, everything is a challenge. And I think that's, what's interesting about what we do is it all becomes a challenge, you know, and it's a matter of like how far down the challenge loophole you want to go, you know? So, um, absolutely. Big question, probably annoying one, um, film versus digital, where you stand on that and what's your take on that? Cause I know that's always a debate, um, topic and it's always this thing, you know, but, um, yeah, dude, I mean both, man. Yeah. I want as many paintbrushes <laughs> as I can have. Yeah. You know, and there's, and I think, you know, I'm, I can definitely say that 
I think film has its own look and its own feel and texture to it that I love. And I also love the, you know, the process of working with film. I love the attention to detail and what it does on set to people and the crew. Um, you know, but there's also so many advantages to digital too. There's so many reasons why digital is just an amazing format that, um, you know, is going to, obviously there's a reason why it's, you know, taken over so much. Um, but I hope the film doesn't go away and I don't feel like it is going to go away. And I feel like people are really holding on to it, which I appreciate. And I'm grateful for the DPs that are just, and directors that are just like, you know, we want to keep working with film because that's, what's keeping the medium alive. And, you know, I just, I'm a believer in both, you know, and when it comes to the, you know, down to the project, like, you know, I always want to have film on the table as a possibility. Yeah. I think it's important. I think if you don't, then I think, um, like you said, like you're removing, um, you're removing parts of your tool chest, you know, and you're not thinking of it, um, uh, as, as what it is, which is just a, a means to create, you know? So, exactly. and I think yeah, I totally align with that. Although I haven't shot with film yet, I'm, I'm worried of doing so honestly. Cause I'm like, Oh crap. You know, like sometimes when you don't know what you always wanted, it's best not to do it unless you're ready for that responsibility. <laughs> you know what Dude, I mean? You got to just do it that yeah. like, you can't be afraid of it. You just got to go. I mean, just go buy some film and start shooting some stills and then, yeah. you know, and then go shoot some 16 or, well, the interesting thing yesterday and probably why I was explaining why I was up so late is I started to compile and build my first anamorphic lens. Um, and thanks oh, again wow. to o- Ozon has been showing me some stuff, but yeah, I got this, uh, a friend of mine lent me this old projection anamorphic two X. Um, it's a Isco blue star. Yeah. Isco Rama. Mm-hmm. Isco Rama. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. uh, then I got the taking lens, um, which is like a super Takamar 55, 1.8. Um, it's pretty sharp at like 2.8. Um, a lot of personality, beautiful, like the way it falls off. And then I got this, um, single focus, um, solution, like this Rapido technologies thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I put it all together yesterday and it was like just wild. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was having so much fun. Um, what I, the reason why I bring this up is because, before this, I was shooting a lot with my 70 to 200 and all these cameras with the autofocus and all that stuff. And it's really amazing. Um, but now with this, I'm, I have a trip to, to Japan next month and I'm thinking about only bringing this anamorphic setup and maybe a couple other things, but I really wanted to change the way that I approach how I'm shooting so I could slow down a second and try something different. And Um, it's not a run and gun setup. It's not for vlogging. It's like heavy and cumbersome and kind of crazy and it looks weird. (laughs) Um, but the squeeze and I mean, I know that you shoot anamorphics, I think, because when I look at your footage, it looks like most of it is, I think, right? Yeah. I shoot a lot of anamorphic. I I love, it's the best. I love anamorphic and it's just, those are the cinematic images that I grew up with in a lot of ways. And I just, when I see it, I feel, you know. This warm is, inside. This is cinema. Yeah, <laughs> it, it because it is. It really is, and it's. And I was I was trying a couple other things where I was doing it on the cheap, where I was cheating it by using these like um, bokeh changing, um, you know, like viewfinder kind of things that go in the front of the lens, which is awesome. And I, 
I have a Sigma 18 to 35 lens that's really fast and it's very quick and it works well. And I just have, um, you put this filter on right next to the sensor and it creates this, it basically gives you that elongated bokeh, but it doesn't have that field of view. And Mm -hmm. that's the biggest, that's what I was like, okay, I really want that field of view. And, um, yesterday was the first time I got a sense of it in my hands and I was like, yeah, I can't not do this anymore. (laughs) It's, it's, it's like, it's, I only want to get better at this type of, because when I see the image, I go, Oh, this is the image I've always been trying to see if that makes sense, you know? And yeah. um, Yeah. It was like the moment that I had my 70 to 200. I didn't understand how focal lengths worked until I had that. And I was like, Oh, okay. This all makes sense now. Um, And it starts to click, you know? Um, But yeah, so yesterday was fun. I have a have a fifty five and a one thirty five and a and a two hundred, but it gets so long with the two hundred on there. But it's been a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun with it. So, and it's Dude, like that's, that's yeah, great, man. Anamorphics on a budget because I kind of go out and, and go buy like a Cook anamorphic or something, you know, to shoot Dude, casually. A Cook anamorphic on a still lens on a still camera would be the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those things weigh like 20 pounds each. Yeah. This, I mean, this, oh my this, gosh. this setup's pretty crazy. I have to use my cage and I have to use, um, those like rod things and, and all the supports. I don't even know how I'm going to get around with this in Japan, but eh, I'll figure it out. So <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Cause, um, Japan seeing anamorphically, I think is going to be really fun. So, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Absolutely. But, yeah. I agree with that though. I think it's, um, I mean, I definitely need to, to try out some, some film stuff and you're right. I need to go and just jump in, jump into it again. I just kind of like, Oh crap, let me try to figure out this, this one part while I can, because the thing I love about digital is you could just spray and go and try and fail and, and it's not super tech costly, but I think it does cause problems with your process. You know, um, when you think of photography as just being this disposable thing, sometimes I think it, it reduces your ability to really look, you know, so if you know what I mean. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Film's a good exercise. You know, it really is, especially for someone that's just shot digital, like their whole lives going to film makes you slow way down and really reconsider like, okay, what am I doing? Yeah. Is this, you know, is this the right approach? And I think you'll really enjoy it. So like don't be scared fun. just I, go for it i won't no yeah <laughs> awesome um yeah uh how much time do you got you almost got to get going um yeah i mean we can keep going a little bit longer if you want That's another 10 good. minutes okay yeah no problem i know we agreed to an hour i just didn't want you it's, to, to be no, in fine. trouble so okay I'm, I'm good awesome downtime is something i don't want to so say we could get into gear and all that stuff but honestly I, it seems like you probably don't care to talk about that and it's just like whatever you want, man. I'm here. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, um, it's all a process. And with some of your work, I can tell that there's, um, you have some amazing teams that have VisFX abilities too. Cause I imagine some of it, um, obviously most of this, some things aren't shot all completely. There's a lot of crazy, really good VisFX art going on there. Is, is that sure. some, something that you enjoyed being a part of seeing your footage come to life with VisFX? Yeah. I mean, I love when visual effects are added, you know, it just bring. I mean, there's a magic obviously that comes, you know, because there's just so many things that you can do 
with visual effects that you can't do for real. Um, but I've been really fortunate to be able to work with some great um, visual effects artists and teams that, you know, the work is always, you know, the approach that we've had has always been very much grounded in a very analog, um, try to get everything in camera sort of approach mm. that then, you know, they kind of take what we, what we make and, you know, and do the rest, which I know makes their lives a lot harder, but I think it also makes like the images a lot better in the end where it's really difficult to tell like what's real and what's not. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's like the most satisfying because it's just amazing when you can see something and it's like, you don't know, you know, where it's, you know, where the beginning and the end of the visual effects are. There's this, I did this Grimbergen spot. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the monks yeah. with the, the abbey that's burning down. Yeah, that's the first thing I saw yeah. in your work. And I was like, yeah, I need to talk with this guy. This is awesome. Yeah, it's very, awesome. It's yeah very well done. I, that, was, that was such a fun project to do, you know. And when we, you know, started kind of started that project, the initial talks that we had, you know, was like, let's try to do everything we can in camera. You know, and then, of course, we're going to have to augment with, you know, with visual effects. But from the beginning, you know, um, they were just like completely on board with, you know, letting us shoot it in the crazy way we did. We shot with like some super old ancient anamorphic lenses that have just great character to them. And they're muddy and messy and dirty and they Mm -hmm. look great. And they had to like really do a ton to try to match that. And, um, you know, and then there's like this big shot at the beginning. Um, it's like the second shot, maybe second or third shot Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're standing behind this monk and like the whole abbey's burning down around him. Mm, Yeah. And, you know, we, what we did is we actually built the, the bottom half of the abbey. We built that as a location in Romania where we shot it. So we built this huge set and, um, you know, we had all this real fire and we, and we did it as close as we could for real. But then it's like, you put that top on it and, you know, and I feel like it's pretty seamless. Like I've had many people come and just say, man, how did you burn a building down? And like, we didn't burn a building down. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, good practically, well, but think, it was just great visual effects work. Well, I think your, your, I think your approach is, is the way to do it. I think is, is, um, work with the best that you can, um, and then plan it. So you shoot for it and you both, and everybody's in alignment. You go, okay, well, we're going to have this shot and you plan for it and you go, okay, well, the vis effects artist goes, okay, well, if you're going to have fire here, we're going to need, you know, light bouncing off his eyes and whatever it might be. Um, because it's just going to save the shot basically. Um, and then totally. they can just add on to it. There's a, I'm sure you've seen it, but the film Macbeth, um, mm-hmm. there's quite a bit of his effects in there and some of it, it's, it's kind of, kind of apparent, but most of it isn't only to parents, maybe somebody like me who's got a very discernible eye can see what's, you know, Oh, that's a, that's Compton. That's not, that's a flat thing. Like, a, you know, it's like, I'm always looking at these things. Um, but that's that I think uh, to bring up Fincher again, he's one of those directors that I learned about vis effects through. Um, and especially in the film Zodiac where mm. he was um, that one intro shot where you're going into um, San Francisco at the heyday um, and everything is old and, and original. And 
or like there's moments where he would just go like, Oh, let's just re- let's do a set extension here. Stretch that out there. Remove that thing there. And, um, it's like vis effects that isn't like, um, say like a lightsaber piercing somebody or something like dramatic like that, but it's all these little yeah. subtleties that add to the, t- the tone. And I think Denny Villeneuve does the same thing as well. And, um, I think it just, it accelerates it and that's cool that you embrace it. But I think that it's a testament because yeah, this, this piece that you mentioned, um, has a, a lot of his effects in it, but I can't tell where it starts and ends, which is, yeah, it's pretty impressive, you know, like, and I can't imagine it must've been very difficult to match that old, <laughs> those old anamorphics, you know, cause all the, the, the glowing and the, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's got yeah, kind of crazy totally. warp to it and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, strange flares and light leaks and whatnot, but yeah. But yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful for visual effects teams, you know, that are just embrace that. And, you know, because you work with the other side too, where it's just like, let's make it as easy as possible. <laughs> Shoot spherical, give us a green screen for this or that, you know? And it's just like, it, you just can't get the same results that way. No, you know? not even close. You can't even approach it. It's not even the same thing. Um, but that, yeah, cause there is a, um, I mean, you know this first and foremost, and anybody that's listening that knows anamorphics, it's like there's just a thing that there's a there's a quality that's very human about it. It's oddly like when I watch something that's too perfect, it just feels weird. Um, yeah, and I think it just feels like it's a false life. It's a false reality, and I think that with anamorphics, the fall off and the and the distortion and the the leaking of the light and just how it all kind of um, works. I mean, it's, we're definitely like waxing poetry about these things, but it's, uh, once you see it and understand it and you start to look for it, like I was rewatching super eight the other day. Um, mm-hmm. cause that's like lens flare city, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's cool because it's like a stylistic thing, you know, which, which is fine too, but, um, it's got a lot of really beautiful things going on to it. And it's something I love to watch and study as well. You worked Absolutely. with um, Rob Chu, right? I think it's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob's a good friend of mine. Love he's, Rob. He's got some great work, and I, I really love that Porsche piece you guys did together. It's so cool. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah that was the first uh, first project we'd ever done together. That's awesome. And it was it was a labor of love. <laughs> I can imagine it's a lot of locations um, and telling yeah. that story together has got to be really interesting because there's a lot of things going on there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a ton of locations, um, you know, in a very a pretty compact shoot and everything was really spaced out. So it made it challenging. But, you know, the thing that I think in the end really saved that shoot was I came out for the director scout early. So basically I was there the entire time that Rob was and we were looking at the locations together with the location scout, you know, and we just couldn't really feel it like it just wasn't right you know and um and so we actually ended up taking like a few extra days and just him and i you know went out and we just drove all over the place and we (laughs) literally just found stuff and we're just like can we shoot here can we shoot here (laughs) we like this and you know and we had an amazing locations guy that like found a way and we pretty much got to shoot all these places that we found and it just made such a difference in the film um, you know, and, I, and I, to me, it's like locations, you know, that's like, 
such a big deal. <laughs> That's yeah. like the setting of your film, right? And, yeah. You know, as a DP, sometimes the most frustrating thing is when, you know, you're put into positions where, you know, you're forced to shoot a location that you've never seen before or you didn't get to choose and you don't like, you know, and, you know, when you, you know, do in that situation, like, you just kind of go, oh, fuck it. You know, you, you just do your again. best. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of just like yeah. try to turn it on its head and look at a different way, find a new approach, you know, to make it Let's nice. Night. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, or, or I mean, whatever, yeah. whatever you can. Um, but it's like, yeah, when you can be really involved in that process from the very beginning and say, you know, and choose, make a lot of decisions about where you want to shoot, then you know, those locations, they shoot themselves out. They're just mm. great. So do you, are you deeply involved in the location scout of projects? I try to be, you yeah, know, whenever smart. I can, I try to go on the director scout. You know, it's typically something that productions never want to pay for. They never want to pay to have a DP out there. So mm -hmm. it's like, you just go on your own dime and, but you know, if it's going to be a great project, you just have to do it because there's, you know, I appreciate that. You seem to be very passionate and dedicated to your thing, even at a detriment, which I think is true. And I, I'm, I'm the same way. Like if I'm passionate about something, I'll just do it. Even oh, if it's yeah. going to cost me money because I know that I'm doubling down on myself. And when you double down on yourself, it, it just adds to the, to the, it just adds to the fire. Really it does, you know? So, um, absolutely. No, I think, you know, I look back and there's been so many times where, you know, you know, in filmmaking, we always have to spend money to, to make stuff, you know, we have to yeah. spend our own money, even when it's like real jobs, like always. I'm going to go, I'm going to shoot this PSA thing, uh, next in a week in Lebanon and I'm really excited wow. about, you know, and have like, been there we're before? all, yeah, yeah. I've been there a couple of times and it's amazing city. It's going to be this really beautiful story that I'm not going to give anything away, yeah, but look out know. for it. Yeah. It's okay. going to be so nice, but like, we're all, you know, everyone's spending their own money to do it and and it's going to be great though. I'm wow. just, it's fun. That freedom though, huh? That because freedom. yeah, well, yeah. and at the end of the day, I don't know when it's, when everyone's got something on the line, yeah. it's not, then it just, it turns into something special, you know, and you always. can't fail because you have to make it good. Yeah. Always. I think that's a testament to it. And that's so true. And I often, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you do this still, it seems like you're very busy and you're collaborating with a lot of people and maybe this is how it works for you, but do you do any passion projects? Cause I'm really big into passion projects. Oh like yeah, absolutely. So important, so. Absolutely. Still doing passion projects. And I think, you know, I mean, there's been volumes share said about passion projects and how important they are, but I'll just put my two cents in that, you know, passion projects are really what I built my career on. Mm-hmm. Same. And, you know, if there's anything that will get someone out of their shell of, you know, talking about films and wanting to make films, but not making films, it's just going and going through that fire of actually having to do it, you know, that is so useful. So, yeah, I love that. And thanks for sharing that, too, because that's I think that's one of the things that I'm always trying to to push into people's minds is like in the beginning, um, and you mentioned this earlier too, it's like you just do jobs for free. And although I don't condone that because I think it's can be sometimes a hindrance, but I think it's inevitable. And it's, it's, it's because you have no value in the beginning because you're not, you don't have the substance, you have all the drive, but you don't have the, the skill set. You basically have to do things for free um, yep. and, and just do it because you want to, and to know that you're going to get better. 
Um, and that's, again, it's all about doubling down. If I ever, uh, it's something I always say, and I, it seems like you're probably in alignment, but if you're ever going to invest anything, it's like invest in yourself and your education towards your passions, because like you could do no wrong if you do that. Like, because like what, Oh, you're going to get better at what you love doing. Okay. Like, so exactly spend whatever no, I, money it is to do that because it's, it's so much, it's so worth it. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I, I work for free all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just has to matter. If it's going to be something that's going to benefit you, that you're going to learn, then, you know, yeah, no one's going to pay you to do that stuff. That's the stuff that, you know, you have to do it yourself. And, and when you do, you never, you never regret it. Like I've got, I look back, I mean, there was, there's so many passion projects, things that I've done years ago. Um, and even not so long ago, you know, that I look back and I'm like, oh man, that was kind of, you know, a waste of time. I didn't get it put on my reel or whatever. For I some reason it, it didn't turn out how I wanted it to. And it's not something that I really can share. Yeah. But you never look back and think like, I really wish I hadn't done that because you always learn something. You always get something from that. Even if it's like overall, like a negative kind of outcome. Yeah. It's always a great learning. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I think, um, it's the same thing. Like, um, yeah, I have passion projects that usually take a year to two years. Um, this next one that I'm working on is we're basically making our own star Wars and this is going to just, uh, <laughs> wow. Two years, baby. It's Yeah. We're building props and we just got locked our casting and we're doing all the script and everything. And it's been such a rewarding and challenging process. It's been amazing. But, um, I mean, I can't just go like, Hey, ILM or Disney, I have this star Wars idea. They'd be like, yeah, fuck off guy. Like <laughs> you have to basically go and do it and show them that you can, um, and again, yeah. I think it's just, you have to want it. You have to want it. If you don't want it then you simply shouldn't do it. And if you're doing it for likes or any of these weird shallow things, like it oh, simply yeah. won't, it won't last. It won't, you That's have to do it because it. it's like, like, well, why did you stay up until five in the morning? Well, I stayed up because like, I am so obsessed with film grain right now, <laughs> you know, or something silly like that, you know? So exactly. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, w one thing I wanted to talk about with you really quickly too, before we head out is, um, mm -hmm. you travel a lot and, um, I love traveling. Um, how important is traveling to you and like the overall essence for you? We've talked a little bit about in the beginning and then also a couple of places that you are, were really surprised about, um, and really enjoyed and loved that are some places that you would su suggest or recommend people try to visit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Wow. Traveling. I love traveling. And in my mind, traveling is like one of the greatest opportunities for learning that we can have. You do know, you shoot while you travel too? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off, but do you shoot when you're traveling? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, but it's, you know, it's more for personal stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess most of the traveling that I do though is still like work is work for work at this point mm. because it's like, you just do the math, you know, if you're working 200 days plus of the year and then you're home the rest, you know, yeah. you only are traveling so much, I guess. But, you know, but I travel all over the world for work and, um, you know, and for me, I think that's part of the addiction that you get with filmmaking yeah. is all the stimulus from going to all these places and seeing these incredible things and getting to capture it and, you know, create images from it and take it home with you. 
um, that's, you know, it's addictive and amazing. And then, but yeah, I mean, amazing. There's so many great places, I guess, where to start. I love Asia. Asia has like a really special place in like my heart. Mm, what part um, of Asia? For, um, all over Asia. <laughs> That's so huge. That's half the Dude, earth. <laughs> I mean, well, Japan, we've talked a little bit about Japan. Oh, Japan's I, incredible. I but like, Japan. yeah. but China, Taiwan, um, I haven't been, I need to go. Thailand. Uh, I mean, is I need it's to go incredible. To yeah. And Vietnam, I hear is incredible as well. Mm-hmm. India is actually something that everyone that can, you know, at least as a filmmaker should see India is it looks insane. absolutely incredible. And the, the northernmost part of India, mm. there's this region uh, called Ladakh okay. um, or Leh, L-E-H. Mm-hmm. And it's at like super high elevation. It's a city that sits at like 16,000 something feet. Oh, I think my friend's and, there. Yeah. Dude, it's one of the most special places I've ever been. It's mm. this high altitude desert with these like Buddhist monasteries. Wow. Just hanging off the cliffs around you and it's really special production value so, yeah go go to india india looks India's gnarly you have to get a lot so of shots of and stuff life. too huh? so full of life and and so you know and there's just so much um i don't know india is yeah it's so full of life and controversy and you know horrible things and wonderful things and it's just all there and it's all right in front of you that it's it's a really amazing experience so it's going to be interesting Um, being an american there too i'd imagine too just because of the difference in culture too you know oh yeah absolutely i mean it's it's so different but but wonderful you know and i've shot in my early part of my career I actually did a bunch of work in India. I shot, you know, I've shot probably 10 films, 10 commercials or so projects in India and, and loved that experience. You know, the crews are just so lovely and They, they make a lot of movies there. And, yeah. Oh man, there's so much work there. Yeah. They're just constantly working. Um, and so many amazing professionals. Uh, you know, there's more airy cameras in India than anywhere else in the world. Hmm. That's interesting. I guess like it makes combined. sense because they because they have the what's it like? Um, what's the name of it? They have their own Hollywood, Bollywood, is Bollywood, yeah, yeah, Bollywood, Bollywood, yeah. Just yeah, pretty so, crazy. Yeah, yeah, India is amazing, but you know, then I mean, everywhere there's so many. Then you know, did you shoot a lot at all in Hawaii, or you just mainly lived? You know, there? I I didn't really shoot in Hawaii. I mean, just like photos and whatever. But I haven't actually shot something yet there. Like I'm hoping, I hope someday I get to do like a proper shoot there you know i'm sure i will someday but. yeah i would so it's a dream passion project of mine or just a, a, a project that i would love to do in the same kind of if you can imagine kind of like um terrence malick's um what's it called new world is it the new world uh-huh. um but i want to tell the story of king kamehameha because his story that whole story i don't know if you've ever heard it but it's incredible oh yeah it's his whole the whole kind of un folding of the Hawaiian islands and, and the Hawaiian like sovereignty and stuff. It, man, if that's done right, oof, that could be, it's, it's, it's on the level like apocalypse, like, um, uh, like dances with wolves, but in a in essence of a different thing, obviously it's not dances with wolves, but yeah, in that sense, you know, oh, that'd be amazing. That's something that like, Maybe we'll collab on, collaborate on that someday because we love Hawaii. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I grew up with that story. So, 
Um, Dude, that's awesome. And I think Hawaii needs to be represented that way. I think Hawaiians and, and Hawaii itself is very sovereign. And I think that um, telling his story um, in, 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 in a poetic way and in that kind of production, um, I think would be just really, really special. Um, and I think, Oh be, yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things like, it's like a, it's like a, okay, I got to do that someday because I really need to, because it's how beautiful it is. Um, when you're shooting needs to be told. Yeah. When you're shooting casually, um, when you're just point and shoot kind of photos, what are you using? Uh, so most of t- recently I've been shooting a lot with my Leica Q. Leica Q. Okay. Which I love. Um, it's a Leica that has a fixed 28 millimeter lens on it. Um, it's a fixed, yeah. 1.7, 28 millimeter. That's just really great. I love that camera. Mm-hmm. Um, Highly recommend it. It's a film camera or no? That's digital. Okay, cool. Um, You know, but then I've also got a Nikon F3 that I shoot a lot with that's uh, film. Ah. Which is kind of of old school and people are like, why the F3? I just love it. And I've grown up with it for a long time. And it's just, I like, it slows me down. I like the process. And that camera went to the moon. So, you know. (laughs) There you go, people. Yeah, quite hey, <laughs> it went to the moon. So when shooting, um, when you're doing working on your projects, um, what's the, what are the, the go-to things that you, you're like, these are my eyes and this is my sensor, you know, like what are, what's the body that you like to use you feel most comfortable with and what's the lenses that you love to work with? Well, you know, nowadays, I mean, there's so many great tools that yeah. like you could shoot with all sorts of things. For me, I, I've just been, such a fan of the look of, you know, of the Alexa for a long time now. So I, I own an Alexa mini and I shoot, you know, a large portion of what I do is on that camera Mm. because I just love it. And, you know, and there's just such a softness to the sensor of the Alexa that I don't find in the other, you know, in the, in the Sony Venice in the same way. It's a Um, fall off time. It's the heart, it's the fall offs and the, and the highlights, I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's got such a really lovely rendition of skin tones and, you know, and there's some really great cameras out there as well that are doing, you know, people are doing great work with, but for me, uh, what I love about the Alexa is that it's, I'm able to get the image that I'm after the easiest, the fastest with that camera. And also I'm able to follow it through the pipeline so that it actually ends up the way I like it to, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's so many other people involved in this process. Like, you know, there's a DIT that's working with your footage and then he's giving it to an editor and they're editing this and the agency and the director are sitting there looking at it for weeks and getting accustomed to way, you know, that the dailies look, and then they're going into to the grade with that look in mind and, you know, and then a colorist is going to do whatever the heck he wants, you know, I mean, ho- hopefully not, but at the end of the day, like <laughs> they can, you know, they can yeah. totally change your, the film. And so what I love with what Ari has done is, um, you know, they've made it so easy to be able to get a great image that you can, you know, I use LUTs constantly. I'm always building my own LUTs. Mm. Um, for each project that I'm doing and I'm monitoring that on set. And then I'm, that's, you know, you, that's going to through the DIT <laughs> putting, you know, putting that's it important. onto the dailies so that they're looking at the image that I want them to look at. And then that's <laughs> influencing the grade. 
Yeah. And that for me is such an important workflow that lets me get my vision all the way to the end product that if for nothing else, like that's, you know, a great reason to work with the Alexa for me. So I love the Aerie Alexa mini and lenses, you know, it's just project to project. I mean, we've talked a lot about anamorphic. I love anamorphic lenses. Um, the older, the better. Yeah, um, interesting. You get your hands yeah. on some really good old Panavision, I guess. Is that what it would be? Or Yeah, well, a lot of, you know, I mean, I've shot a lot of Panavision glass, which is amazing. I How mean, about those Iscoramas, baby? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really shot with those yet. Oh, I do have I do have an Iscorama uh, projector lens sitting on my shelf. Though, yeah, that's it. You know, which yeah. maybe I should find a, a way to do something with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean... Panavision makes an assortment of anamorphics that all have really incredible qualities to them. You know, whether you want to go really old and really textured and full of imperfections or, you know, some of the newer stuff, which is just, you know, super slick and beautiful. Like the Atlas ones look pretty interesting. Have you tried those yet? I haven't shot with the Atlas yet. Mm. Um, What I've seen from them looks pretty nice. The only thing I'm not like sure I love is I feel like these, these horizontal blue flares, Mm. the testing that I did with them felt a little bit, um, I don't know. I didn't felt a little cheap to me. I didn't Mm. love the way that it was just almost too simple. It's just kind of like this blue line. Yeah. Um, no, like I love the Kawa anamorphics. I have a set of those that I just really love. Is that what we're talking about? Or is this the, a different thing? No, it's like the, like Kawa Promenar anamorphics. They uh, made a set yes. of, yeah. um, that have, have been used pretty, uh, a lot, like a lot for lots of films and stuff these days. A lot of commercials. Yeah. And they're just like super full of character. They're old. They're from the sixties and seventies really full of characters but like you look at the flares from them and if you get a good set that has like really good coatings like i mean you can look right into the sun and you just get this like little pinpoint of light and like these beautiful horizontal flares that are just have so much depth to them they're almost like three-dimensional um i love those and that's actually what we shot the uh that grimbergen one on Ah, interesting. I guess that makes sense when I look at it. Yeah, because there is a ton of character and it does feel um, like vintage character, which is really cool. It's like something that you you really can't, I guess if you have a really keen eye and like a crazy workflow that you could try to get somewhat close. If you took like, say like a a hawk or um, uh, like a cook anamorphic or something, then like really went crazy in post. But it's like, why do that there? And I think I like your approach too is like, try every tool, test it, stress test it. But then like, for me, it's like, it's so important that you, when you're on set on location, when you're supposed to be getting that thing, you're not even like the camera becomes you and you just kind of go through it and you're not thinking about all the bullshit, you know, like, Oh, there's this thing here and that and all these settings and blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just has to be all second nature, you know, it has to. And you know, and the more, I don't know, the more like I've shot with, pretty much every different kind of anamorphic lens out there. I think nowadays, except these Atlas ones, which you mentioned, Hmm. um, I've shot with almost all of them and you know, they all have their own flavor. They all have their own look and you know, and I love it. And it's just prod, you know, depending on the project you get, you know, you'll just go with something different to get the right look, you know, and there's also amazing spherical lenses out there too. Like I shoot 
plenty of spherical too, you know, whether it's Master Primes or it's like, you know, or K35s or I shot something recently with some Cook Speed Pancros that I just love. Like those, you know, those Pancro lenses were some of, um, some of like Gordon Willis and, uh, Conrad Hall, like some of their favorite lenses. And you look at them and you realize why, like they're just these tiny little lenses, but they have so much character to them Hmm. and, you know, can't be forgotten either. So yeah, I'm, you know, for me, like lenses are just such a fun rabbit hole that we could go down and talk about forever. But yeah, you know, it's one of those, those paintbrushes that you get to have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more experience you've had shooting with different ones, the more, you know, you realize just how many options are out there and how many different, you know, looks you can give your film which is just fun it's obvious that you rent these too right yeah you have to these are all incredibly expensive stuff so (laughs) yeah no these are all all things that you rent you know it's got to be a shame though because you're just like oh like buy my babies you know like i'll see you next shoot i guess you know like (laughs) yeah no it's true you know that's the thing that would kill me it's like oh like i would want to 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 have it and covet it but i guess it's actually probably better because Hopefully you put that on the production cost and, okay, we're going to need to rent this. And it's like a thousand dollars a day to rent this set and blah, blah, blah. And, but then exactly. you get the chance to really test it and play with it. That's why I was curious because totally. seeing all your work, I know you're using different gear cause I could just sense it. And each piece has a different quality to it. Some of them are sharper than others and some have this more like a distortion to it. And so being able to test and try all these things, I was just curious as to where you would land if you were to have to pick one. So it seems like the Kawa set is what you really like are drawn to, huh? I mean, well, so the Kawas, I love the Kawas, but you got to realize with anamorphic lenses, there's only so many vintage anamorphic lens, like lenses you can actually buy. Yeah. Um, you know, the majority of them were produced by Pan, you know, by Panavision produced a lot of them. And so, and you can't buy Panavision lenses. They're strictly for rental only. <laughs> so the ones yeah. you can actually buy, you know, are the Lomos. You know, they have the round front and the square front varieties. I owned a set of Lomos for a long time, a set of round fronts that I loved and shot a lot of things on those. Um, but they also have like a lot of things that are kind of cumbersome about the way that they work. They've a front element that rotates and breathes out like up to two inches, which is pretty difficult when working with map boxes and filters and so that can be kind of annoying um and then the 35 millimeter for the lomos is a little bit cumbersome too because it's huge and it has like crazy uh distortion for vertical lines um so the lomos one thing you know kawas is another that are very they're very small um very ergonomic, easy to work with. You can use clip-on map boxes. Um, and that's one of the reasons why people have really loved them for a long time. Um, they're lightweight, but they also have just really lovely, like true anamorphic, vintage anamorphic qualities to them. Um, lots of distortion, lots of breathing, but beautiful horizontal flares and, you know, just tons of character. So that's something I love about the cows. I mean, there's a couple other, um, a couple other vintage sets, you know, that are pretty rare, but are out there as well. But like, that's really only a handful of vintage anamorphics you can own. You know, I mean, you can buy like new cook anamorphics or Atlas or master anamorphics. 
um, Scorpio anamorphics, which are actually really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but they don't have quite the same characters. You know, yeah. you don't, you're not getting a really vintage look out of those. So there's really you're pretty limited, I guess, on the number, the actual vintage anamorphics you can buy. Sure. Um, you know, so of those, I think the Kawas are just really, really lovely because they are great to work with, and they also just have such a great image. So yeah, it's super cool. But try man. them all. Try them all. I mean, I'm you know, they're all lovely compile them into a, or like share the, share the budget with a friend and try them and rent them. And yeah, give them just, I think that's the best approach. And I totally agree. I think getting these and trying them and, and using them for projects, not just like filming your room or something, you know? <laughs> oh, exactly. No, no, yeah. no one wants to shoot their room. Go yeah. shoot something awesome. Yeah. Tell a great story. That's going to make people feel something, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not Man. just depress neon, depress people in neon lights, you know? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> if seen our, yeah. Or our vlog about it. And then you're like, okay, cool. You know? So that's <laughs> yeah, a whole nother thing, I guess, you know? So uh, exactly. everybody's propelled by different things, but, and, um, so awesome. I appreciate it. I know we went over in time. Um, all good. This was caption. great. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It was fun talking to you and catching up. Yes, you're absolutely welcome. And, and I really appreciate your time. I know everybody that's listening to this does as well. So, um, one last thing before we go is this is kind of a thing I like to do with ending these shows is when, uh, it's, it's more or less a kind of passing on the torch of advice or something. So, um, yeah. if there's something that you can think of that might come to mind and I know I hate to put people on the spot cause this is kind of a difficult one, but if there's something that you could tell your past self or when you're dealing with the hardship or, um, you're kind of in a rut or you've gone through something that you wish they, you know, like, oh, I wish I had that advice then, um, to get over that kind of learning curve. Is there something that comes to mind that you think you could pass on to the listeners? Mm. Yeah. You know, if I could look back at my self years ago, what I wish I could have told myself is to just try and surround yourself with the very best people and, and don't be too prideful to do that. Like sometimes you stand in the way of yourself by just, you know, f like thinking you can do it at, like yourself. You can do it on your own. Mm -hmm. Like I wish I had just collaborated with people more early on. Mm -hmm. And I did, but I could have done a lot more, I think. And I look at some of these, some of the people that I really look up to and I just feel like they've just been so good at, you know, at collaborating and finding the best creative partners, you know, all along. And I think that's just so important. And I don't think I did a good enough job of that when I got started. You know, it's, it's really hard to make a movie by yourself. <laughs> There's some people that do it, but it's really tough. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you got some people around you that can support you and help you like it goes a long way. So I would say, yeah, man, find, just find the best collaborators that you can and stick with them. It's beautiful. I totally agree. And I've, right there with you. So I totally agree because yeah, your stubbornness and your ego can actually be your demise if you're not careful. So, and collaborating, um, with the right people can actually yield a better result. Um, if you're willing to take that, that risk and that leap. So yeah, totally. absolutely. Amazing. Okay. Go enjoy time with your family. Thank you again so much. And, um, hopefully someday soon we'll be able to collaborate and have some fun making some, some awesome art. Dude, I'd love that. Thank you so much. There we are, everyone. Big thank yous to Paul for sharing his time with us this week. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. 
Um, you can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectpodcast.com slash 216. Um, just check it out. There's going to be awesome stuff in this one. A lot of interesting things brought up. I hope you guys took a, a lot away from this and are out there you know, making your art. Whether you're painting or drawing or any of these things, um, or you're an aspiring film director or cinematographer or photographer in general, hopefully you took something from this and uh, is helping you evolve and grow. Um, As always, go out there, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everybody.